All right. A lot of good stuff happening here at Rancho, so thanks for being a part of it. Uh, whether you're a part of a ministry around here, just coming and joining us on Sunday morning, we uh, certainly appreciate you being here, being a part of things. And I gotta say, this series that we are in the middle of right now, The Seven Yeses, is really hitting great. Uh, a lot of people have gotten the book. It's called Seven Primal Questions by David Foster. It's a short little read. Uh, you can get it on Audible. You'll be done with it at uh, one and a half speed, which is my preference. Two, two hours through that book. Uh, you can take the test. You can take it online. If the sermon gets a little boring, you can uh, uh, Google uh, seven primal questions test. It'll take you one minute to fill out the test. And then your apex question, one of the seven, that is more aligned with your sort of experience, your wiring, your history, your values and motives, it will kind of pop up. So we're going through seven questions that all of us sort of have and all of us want to get to a yes. We all want to get to a yes on these questions. Uh, so we've gotten to a yes on three questions. Let's see if you can uh, actually you know, answer these. Am I safe? What's the answer? Yes. Okay. Let's get a little bit better than that. Am I secure? Yes. yes. Last week, Steve talked about am I loved? Yes. yes. Very good. We're getting to a yes to all these questions here. Today, we're going to talk about the question, am I wanted? Now, we don't know the answer yet, so don't quite get there. We're going to find out the answer together. Am I wanted. Now, before we go down this road, I want to be very clear that this is a distinct question from, am I needed? Sometimes people confuse the two, am I wanted, am I needed? They're totally different. Am I needed means that somebody wants or needs something from me, right? Am I needed as a parent? Am I needed as a provider? Am I needed to perform tasks? Am I needed by my employer? Am I needed to meet the expectations of others? Am I needed means that somebody is taking something from you to meet their own needs, to meet their own expectations, or the needs of your community or employer. Now here's what I want us to consider. Sometimes the most needed people feel the most unwanted. Sometimes the most needed people feel the most unwanted. A classic and really common example is, uh, let's say, a mother with very young kids. She is the most needed person on the face of the earth. I mean, their nutrition comes from mom. Their daily moment-by-moment survival comes from mom. And when they're young, they have zero capacity to say, you know, mom, I just want to let you know how wanted <laughs> you are by me. I mean, kids don't get the capacity to really articulate how, how wanted their parents are until the kids are about 37 something like that, give or take. But uh, when, when we're a parent, mom and dad, you know, we're, we're providing and we're meeting needs, we're needed, but it's hard to feel wanted sometimes. Same thing at work, right? Sometimes you're a very needed person. You are making things happen at your work, but it's not like the whole place stops every once in a while to just pour in in terms of how wanted you are as a human being. So sometimes the most needed people feel the most unwanted. So when we ask the question, are we wanted, this is at a deep emotional level. Has nothing to do with how needed you are by anybody. Has everything to do with, is there someone, some being, human or divine, that looks at you, knows your name, knows every bit about you, and says, I wanna be with you. I treasure you. You're valuable to me. You are wanted. So it does feel good to be needed, but it feels so much better to be wanted. Not for something we do or provide, but wanted just for being us and to feel that sense that I belong here. I belong here. 
Now, for some of us, this will be our apex question. So the seven primal questions, for some of us, this will be the number one. This is not my number one. Uh, my number one is coming later, super secret, not getting that word out just yet. Uh, but for those of you who have this as your apex question, you offer a lot to society around you because you value being wanted, which means you value other people feeling wanted. And so you are really pouring good things into society around you, right? You have a gift of making people feel included. And you're looking out for those who may not feel included. You know the look in their eye. You know when they feel a little distant from the crowd and you're gonna be the one to welcome them and show them hospitality to embrace them and kind of make them feel included, right? You might be good at counseling others, whether you're formally trained or not. You might just have pearls of wisdom to pour into people who might not feel that they belong. They might feel a little bit lonely. You're gonna say the right thing at the right time. You are not judgmental. So if you're judgmental and you start you know, nitpicking people, this is not your apex question, right? You got another one here. But for those of you who are not judgmental and you just wanna make people feel warmly accepted no matter where they are in life, this just might be your apex question. You are the best at noticing the overlooked. You are the best at noticing the marginalized. Your heart breaks when somebody is picked last, right? That is you. You bring a lot of good stuff to the world. If this is your apex question, you also have some things you need to be cautious of. Like every one of these seven questions, there's a great thing you contribute, but also some things to just be aware of. So you might fear being rejected and you might feel as though you don't fit in. And so you might overcompensate. So you might get overly close. You might come across as maybe needy, and this is a bad word, maybe even clingy, sorry. But you really desire to be wanted, and so sometimes you, you might express that a little too much. Uh, you might have a history of rejection or betrayal. So there could be something in your past, whether it's a family story or a friend or some crisis or trauma that rejected you, right? And so there's that hollow feeling that I'm not sure I'm wanted here. And so you might have a hair trigger, something that might be a small thing you might perceive in a big way as rejection. And so sometimes in, in a household family relationship, just some small little disconnect happens, you feel it as a big betrayal, uh, almost betrayal or rejection, and this big like affront, even though it really wasn't that big of a deal. Uh, you might have had uh, attachment issues in your home when you were growing up. Um, if you had uh, in your infancy even, if there wasn't a natural deep attach, attack, attachment to parents, that has lasting, sometimes lifelong impact. Some trauma in your family could create this as well. You might have this nagging question swirling in the back of your mind that you don't talk about often. And that swirling question is, do people like me? Are they really my friends? These doubts are just swirling in the back of your head. Um, are they just putting up with me? These are the things that really kind of haunt you in some quiet times. This might be you, am I wanted? Now this is not my personal apex question, but I do know what it's like to sometimes feel unwanted, and I know what it's like to feel the warmth and acceptance of being wanted. Uh, last weekend we were away, missed you all. Uh, my wife and I took a weekend down to San Diego. We try to do that a couple of times a year, just the two of us. We got a lot going on, you know, four kids and work and whatever else. And so we just a couple times a year just get away with the two of us. And so we went down to San Diego and it was day two. I can give you the time and the exact place when my wife, as we were holding hands on our morning walk, looked at me and said, I still like hanging out with you. 
30 years, we just had our 30-year anniversary about six months ago. After 30 years, my wife looks at me dead in the eye. She was even serious, right? That's kind of fun. Yes, we can applaud. Yay, my wife. And I know what you're thinking. Like, she likes hanging out with you? Yes, she does. She might be a little off. But uh, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm juiced for like three years. The world can collapse, but I'm good for three years on that one phrase. I still like hanging out with you, right? I'm wanted by my wife. That's a pretty big deal. So I do know what it's like, you know, every once in a while, life hits you sideways and you don't feel wanted. But then I do know at those moments where, okay, people do want me. It feels good. Now, I'm going to get a little weird for just a couple minutes. And you're like, okay, it's Rancho. We get weird. I totally get it. All right. If I were to um, guess on what Jesus' apex question would be, <laughs> and I know it's kind of weird assigning like a personality test to Jesus, but I think this is it, right? Forgive me if I'm wrong or weird, but I, this is Jesus' jam. I mean, when you look at the life and ministry and teaching of Jesus, he was all about making people feel wanted. And we'll talk about kind of his own story of feeling unwanted at times, but I think this might be Jesus' apex question. I know that's weird and bizarre, and we'll just, you know, put that on the shelf, but I mean, let's look at his life and his ministry and his teaching, and we will think, oh my gosh, this was his thing, Right? I mean, let's look at the people Jesus was drawn to. Open up any of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the first four books of the New Testament, and you just start reading about the life and ministry of Jesus. Oh, day one, who does he go to? The most unwanted people. Day two, oh, that unwanted person. Jesus just, like a magnet, was attracted to those who felt the most unwanted. And what did he do? Made them feel wanted. I mean, he just like ran to people with disabilities who thought they were punished by God. That was the theology 2,000 years ago. If you had a disability, you were told God was punishing you for your sin. No joke. Jesus had to unravel all that stuff. So he was drawn to people with disabilities. He was drawn to people who struggled with mental illness and they were labeled as demon-possessed. He went right to them, made them feel wanted, and brought healing to their mind. People who were poor or without homes, they were looked, less, looked down as less than, as even subhuman. He made them feel wanted. He made them feel accepted. He made them feel a sense of belonging. He went to single women. And 2,000 years ago, if you were single and a woman, you had no provision because it was very patriarchal. There had to be a man to provide for the women and the children. And if there was not a man in the picture by death, by divorce, she was on her own. Societally, they did not care. Jesus did. And he goes to the single women, gives them dignity, talks to them in public. That was forbidden. Jesus brought dignity, telling each one, you are wanted. I want you. I want to spend time with you. To those who were ethnic minorities, called dogs in uh, ancient cultures, Jesus went to them. You are wanted. I see you. I want to know you. I want to befriend you. Those who were labeled sinners, Jesus hung out with them all the time. The religious elites who thought they had it all together, judging people, well, Jesus says, I'm going to them. They feel unwanted, they're my people. Time and time and time again, Jesus going to the unwanted and letting them know, I want you. And you are worthy. Don't feel as though you're unworthy. Don't feel as though God is looking down on you. Don't feel as though I'm looking down on you. He told the most unwanted that they were wanted, they were valued, they were treasured. And Jesus says, you're worthy of my time, you are worthy of my attention, you're worthy of my friendship, and you're worthy of my mentoring. So I'm gonna come alongside you and I'm gonna mentor you over time to the point where you feel 
the love and grace of God. Truly, 20 minutes ago, there was a man over there from last service with tears in his eyes. I've been in church for 70 years and I'm finally free. 70 years of feeling unwanted by God and feeling not good enough, just now beginning to feel I'm wanted. I mean, how cool is that, right? And listen to the reputation that Jesus got. He spends so much of his time going after the unwanted and letting them feel, making them feel wanted and going after people who are rejected and labeled sinners. And over time, he built a reputation as being too welcoming. So he started being harassed, particularly by the religious elite. He's too welcoming. And Jesus knew that and he embraced it. He says, the son of man feasts and drinks. Yes, I have a good time, <laughs> Jesus says. And you're labeling me. You say I'm a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of sinners. And Jesus says, well, yeah, you think you nailed it. If Jesus was gonna be accused of anything, it was gonna be, I am a welcoming friend of sinners. So I have this little test. I think it's fair to have a test of churches. If churches aren't accused of being friends of sinners by hardcore religious people, then I think that church needs to do a little more work being as welcoming as Jesus. Just a little litmus test. There's a church not accused of being a friend of sinners. We need to do a little bit more work to be a little more like Jesus, right? That was his reputation. And yes, it got him in trouble. That was his reputation. So I'm sure you can imagine the surprise on people's face when Jesus would come along side of them because they were unwanted, some of them their entire lives. Unwanted and rejected by religious communities, unwanted, rejected societally, and here comes Jesus, who is a very popular figure. Hundreds and over time, thousands of people are following him. He's rising kind of in the ranks of a public celebrity and Jesus comes alongside of people who were marginalized and unwanted and said, I, I want you on my team. I want you with me. Imagine the look on their faces. Who are you looking at? I, what, me? Don't you know what people say of me? What people around? And Jesus says, oh, why don't you listen to what I say? And I say you're wanted and I wanna spend time with you and I wanna befriend you and I wanna walk this life together with you. And they're like, me? In uh, elementary school, I was terrible at basketball. I'm super good now. <laughs> it's not true. I'm actually very terrible at basketball. I nail every other sport. I mean, let's just be honest. Not quite. But terrible at basketball, always have been, always will be. Have no desire to get better at basketball because yeah, I'm very self-conscious about it. But all we played in elementary school was basketball. I went to Temecula Elementary School. It's still there, right down the road. That's where I went. And I drive by that school all the time. And I'm 50, 100 years old. And I still look at that wall that we lined up on to get teams picked. And I remember in fourth grade, lining up on that wall, as people are picking teams for basketball, praying to the Lord God Almighty, please not picked last again. I know you're all sad about that. I was picked last quite often, but when I wasn't picked last because I was picked second to last, I felt awesome. I'm like, I am the top of the world. And yes, you are terrible at basketball, the last person. <laughs> I must be better than you. But feeling unwanted and feeling nobody is wanting me on their team, that's the way these people felt 2,000 years ago and Jesus comes alongside them and says, I pick you. And he knows their name and says, you come with me. So that's what Jesus did with his life. Look at the people Jesus was drawn to, then look at the group he gathered. Look at the group he gathered. Not only did he make the marginalized feel welcome, the unwelcome feel welcome, but look at the team 
he gathered. Now that team is called the disciples, and I'm gonna you know, kind of deformalize that a little bit. We think of the 12 disciples as though there's this big you know, religious, these big religious heroes kind of floating around. These were just a group of common people that Jesus handpicked. None of them asked to be on Jesus' team. We'll call, we'll call them the squad, right? There was the squad of three, uh, James, Peter, John. Then there was the squad of 12, which we call the 12 disciples. These were Jesus' 12, you know, homeboys. They were his people, right? And then there was a broader group of 70 uh, men and women, then a broader group of 120. Over time, there were thousands, right? So these are men and women that are part of Jesus' squad. And here's something fascinating about Jesus' squad. In the Bible, not one of them asked to be on Jesus' squad. Not one. Jesus only asked them. So according to the accounts in the Bible, no one ever asked to be on Jesus' squad. There might be a couple of reasons for that. You know, Jesus, son of God, speaking with authority, uh, healing, I mean, just Jesus. I'm sure no one felt worthy to be on his squad. So nobody's asking to be on Jesus' team here. Every single time Jesus says you, by name, are with me. Now, this is true of Simon and Andrew and James and John and Philip and Bartholomew and Thomas, the other James, Thaddeus, Simon, and Judas. Jesus speaks to them by name. I want you to be on my team. Even Matthew. I know, shocking. Matt. Matt? The tax collector. Here's Matt. A Jewish person hired by the evil Roman Empire, who was persecuting, oppressing, and occupying the Jews, a Jewish man hired by the evil dark lord Roman emperor to steal taxes from his fellow people, to fund Rome to keep persecuting the Jews. That's Matt, the most despised and unwanted person on the face of the earth. Matthew Nine, nine, and by the way, Matt wrote Matthew, telling his own story. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matt said, sure, <laughs> let's go. Nobody's asking to be on Jesus' team. Nobody felt worthy to be on Jesus' team, but Jesus just starts asking and asking and asking, and people start following and following and following. So why is it that the Bible is very clear, almost obsessive on the fact that nobody's asking to be on Jesus' team, but he's asking everybody by name to be on his team? Why is the Bible so obsessive on that? First of all, because as we said, no one would consider themselves worthy to actually be on Jesus' team. Second, the Bible is incredibly, incredibly um, intentional in every word, every syllable, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to project the deepest truths out there, right, that may not be on the surface, but underneath. So why does the Bible always make a point of saying Jesus is asking people by name to be on his team. I think the truth of that is simple, and I wanna show it to you. Our relationship with God is not about how earnestly we want a relationship with him, but how earnestly he wants a relationship with us. That's why nobody asks to be on God's team. God is asking us to be on his team because he wants us to know, I want you. 
I don't want you because I need you. God doesn't need anything. I don't want you to do things for me. God doesn't need anybody to do anything for him. He's self-sufficient. God just wants us to know how wanted we are by him. Jesus calls them by name. So what I want you to think about is maybe God calling your name. Scott, I want you on my team. And back in the old days that were more religious days, I would think, God, I'm not worthy. You know, you know everything. You know what I do. You know my motives. You know my thoughts. I am not worthy to be on your team. But God, I'm gonna get better, and I'm gonna try harder, and I'm gonna be more sincere. I'm gonna try to do more things, right? I'm gonna go to church, and I'm gonna give some money, and I'm gonna join a small group, and I'm gonna read the Bible, I'm gonna pray, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna do, 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 right? And, and God, over time, I'm realizing, is just saying, Scott, I want you on my team, I want you on my squad. So imagine your name in that sentence. Your name, Jesus telling you, I want you on my team. And you might think, well, I'm not good enough. I'm not the church type, not the religious type. And God says, I just want you on my team by name. I want you on my team. Wherever you think you're unworthy, God says, get that out of your mind. And I want you to just know that in my mind, you are worthy. You are my treasure. You are my joy, just as you are, not who you can become, but just as you are right here and right now, I want you on my team. God wants you on his squad. Not because he needs you or want anything from you. He just wants you with him, and he wants you to know how wanted you are. This is why I love Ephesians 1, 5. It is just the simplest, just irrefutable message to you and to me about how wanted we are. God decided in advance, before the foundation of the world, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. God wants you to know you're his daughter, you're his son. It is his great pleasure for you to know that. Doesn't need or want anything from you. He just wants you to know how wanted you are. How cool is that? Look at the people Jesus was drawn to. Look at the people he gathered by name. They didn't ask to join him. He asked them to join him. He wants us to know how wanted we are. Now look at the mission of the group he gathered. Here he's bringing these men and women together. He's calling them together as a community. And he says, now, the, the more you know how wanted you are by me, I want you to look around because there's a whole world out there that does not feel wanted. And so as he's walking around the world, this lost and broken world with his squad, he says this in Matthew chapter nine. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He looks at the world and says, confused, helpless, sheep without a shepherd. What was Jesus saying? This world doesn't feel wanted. He wasn't condemning them for their sin and for their evil. They're sheep without a shepherd. They're by themselves. They don't feel wanted. Here's a picture of a lonely sheep, very sad, lonely sheep right there. That's how Jesus saw much of the world. They're like sheep without a shepherd and they're vulnerable to attack and they're by themselves and they don't have a community and his heart broke for them. Well, why did Jesus' heart break for the lonely sheep? Because Jesus understood what it was like to feel this way. We can kind of imagine Jesus' upbringing. Um, the way the world would have perceived it is his mom was 
pregnant, unwed, gave birth to him unwed, that would have been a lifelong shame. And we know the Christmas story, right? So who knows what that meant in Jesus' younger life. But what I do know is that when Jesus, early in his ministry, went back home to Nazareth where he was raised, he was utterly rejected, violently rejected in his own hometown. We see this in Luke chapter 4. He's all excited to go back to his hometown, Nazareth, which is just this little, you know, group of huts on a hill. And he goes back to his hometown, and people are gathered together on, on the Sabbath, perhaps, and he's teaching them out of the book of Isaiah. And he says, I want you to know this is being fulfilled in your midst, and I'm going to be a part of this plan to bring God's saving love and God's saving grace to the world, and they would have nothing to do with it. So here's how that ended, Luke 4, 29. His own hometown mobbed him, forced him to the edge of a hill on which the town was built, intended to push him over the cliff. That's Jesus' homecoming. So do you think he felt like a sheep without a shepherd? He knows what it's like to not feel wanted, rejected violently even by his own hometown. So to go from Matthew 9 to John 10, Jesus says, hey, listen, I'm gonna be the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. And he took that upon himself and his calling by God was he was gonna be the one to make everybody who feels unwanted, wanted. So his mission was to make everybody who feels unwanted, wanted. And we see that in the Gospels. And so we see this mission of Jesus to bring everybody who doesn't feel wanted into this flock. And we see this beautiful picture in this next slide, just the sheep coming to Jesus. And they're on a journey to him and they realize, hey, I'm not by myself, right? I've got a community. I'm not just wanted by God. I'm not just wanted by Jesus who calls me by name. I've got some people around me and yes, we're not perfect and yes, there's some black sheep in the bunch and, but we're following Jesus. We're following Jesus. And it's a cool spot to be. It's a cool spot to be because we're not alone. We might feel alone and unwanted because of our upbringing, because of circumstances, but if we know first and foremost, God wants us, Jesus wants us, calls us by name, we're part of the flock of God, you're not alone because you're here and you're with hundreds of people and you're online and there's a community around you and you do have friends and you do have family and whatever might be broken, making you feel unwanted by God or by others, upbringing, your spiritual upbringing, whatever it is, that can heal over time and friendships can be built and trust can be built and confidence can be built and you can answer yes to this question. Absolute yes to this question. And then Jesus says something to his, his squad. Uh, Matthew chapter 9, 36 through 38. He said to his squad, my translation, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his field. Jesus changes metaphors from a uh, shepherd with sheep to a farmer and a harvest. And Jesus says, hey, listen, and listen to this. Jesus says, I can't do this by myself. I can't make the world feel wanted by myself. I can do it with a lot of people and I'm doing my best here. But he brings this squad together and he says, would you just start by praying that God will bring more, more workers to the harvest to make people feel welcome and embraced? He says, listen, the whole world, they're like sheep without a shepherd. Now I need more workers. Would you pray? And the disciples might have said, okay, yeah, we'll pray. Uh, God, would you bring more workers into the harvest? I think Jesus tricked me. He asked me to pray for more workers, but he knows darn well he wants me <laughs> to be the worker in the harvest. He wants me to kind of partner with him 
to make a world that feels like sheep without a shepherd to feel at home, to feel wanted by God and wanted by each other and to be a part of a vibrant community of friends that has this mission to make the world feel wanted. And I remember when I first got that little, you know, hey, uh, Treadway, would you pray about helping in the junior high ministry? I was a super old, super mature 17-year-old. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if I wanna work with junior hires. I'm like in high school now. And the youth pastor at the time said, would you pray about helping out with middle school? We think, you know, we need you there to help these kids out. And I'll pray about it. Uh, <laughs> so I did change my life. Absolutely changed my life, got addicted to youth ministry and been in youth ministry now for a lot of years, decades and decades. And I love every minute of it. So at some point, as God asked you to pray about, hey, would you make some people feel wanted in your life? It doesn't have to be in church, it could be in your neighborhood, it could be in your place of work, wherever you live your life, and each of you touch dozens if not hundreds of people in the course of your life, if we can feel more confident about how wanted we are, by God, by our family, by our friends, and that confidence kind of brings into a yes, I am wanted. If we can get to that yes, now we are able to make the world around us feel wanted. It's a pretty cool spot. Then Jesus drops this bomb, and we'll close with this as we take communion together. Back in John 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Now look, and look, look at what he says. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. Now, what I want you to just kind of imagine is Jesus with his squad, hundreds and hundreds of people, and Jesus says, hey, look, they are sheep without a shepherd. I am the good shepherd, but I'm gonna lay down my life for my sheep. Imagine just kind of a stunned silence. And they knew what that was like. Because 2,000 years ago in Palestine, it's an agrarian society, and there are farms, and there are shepherds, and there are sheep all over every hillside. And at the time, that place was just, I mean, littered with wolves and even lions. I just found this out last year. Ancient Palestine had lions all over the place. And so you can imagine being a sheep surrounded by wolves and lions. Imagine being a shepherd having to take care of those sheep. Now, if you know anything about sheep, and I do not, but they are the most unintimidating creatures on the face of the earth. It's them and chickens. They're just made to eat. That's the only, and then the wolves, pretty good too. But you know, at the time, it's like you're eating those bad boys. And the wolves and lions are traveling around the hills just waiting for a snack. They've got these little spindly legs and these tiny little hooves and they can't do anything with it. They have these weird human teeth. They don't have fangs, they've got nothing. They're just there, huge bodies, tiny little legs. They might as well have a sign that says lunch. <laughs> eat me. I mean, it's just lions and wolves and the shepherds have to defend their sheep. And sometimes the shepherds would be killed by the wolves and by the lions. It was a risky job, more risky then than it is now. But Jesus made it very clear. I'm the good shepherd. I'm gonna make this world feel wanted. I'm gonna gather a group, a squad of friends together. I'm gonna make them feel like they're the most wanted people on the planet. And then I'm gonna equip them to make the world around them feel wanted. And all this is gonna cost me my life. I'm gonna lay down my life for my sheep. And as you prepare to take communion, and for those of you who don't know what we're doing and you've never done it before, it might seem a little weird, 
but there's some bread at the bottom of your cup. That bread represents the body of Jesus that was broken to protect the sheep, to protect you. Because what happened was very clear. Jesus says, I'm going into the den of wolves. He said that. I'm going into the den of wolves. I'm going into Jerusalem. They hate me in Jerusalem because they are powerful people in government and powerful people in religion. And they hate the fact that I'm gathering thousands of people together in a movement of love and grace. They're attacking you and they will attack me. They're judging you and they judge me, and I'm going into the den of wolves, and they're gonna kill me. And Jesus went there, and they killed him on a cross. That's why Jesus died, to protect us, to confront those wolves who are attacking the sheep, to confront the wolves that are making people feel unwanted. So I'm gonna put some thoughts in your brain before we take this bread, and please listen to me. Jesus didn't die to pay some violent penalty for our sins. You might have been taught that, and I understand that. Jesus didn't die to take the violent judgment we deserve. God is not a violent God, and he doesn't demand violence in return. But he confronted a violent world with peace, and they violently killed him. Jesus died protecting us. Jesus died as the good shepherd, taking the assault of the wolves so that we would be safe and so that we would feel wanted. Jesus died taking on the wolves that judge us and condemn us and make us feel unwanted. And for that, he laid down his life. So take this and eat this in remembrance of the good shepherd. And then take the juice that represents the wine that Jesus was sharing with his disciples, his friends, right before his arrest and crucifixion. And he says, let this remind you of my blood shed for you, the good shepherd who's gonna protect you from the wolves and it will cost me my life. Let this be the knowledge and the symbol of just how much I love you. Take this and drink this. We're gonna pray and lead into a closing song that I just want you to take in. God, we thank you for your great love for us. Thank you that Jesus, the Son of God, the fullness of divinity and the fullness of humanity, showed us just how wanted we are by you. Calling us by name, I want you. I want you to join me. Join me as a community of friends, investing in one another's lives, walking this life together that is sometimes complicated and painful showing there's this true love that comes from you to us and a love with one another. Looking at a world who often feels lost and alone as sheep without a shepherd and making the world around us feel wanted. Wanted by you, wanted by us, invited to experience a community of love and grace and embrace of love. Thank you, God, that your love for us is unreserved and unrestrained. Thank you that your love for us is unashamed and that you're proud of us and you walk with us in grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.